Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Joshua chapter 13, the book of Joshua chapter 13. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, if you've been walking with us for a while in the book of Joshua, we've seen the war footing of Israel, the war footing of Israel. Now, if you recall our study in chapter 11, at the end, we see that there, uh, the land rested from war. A time of rest. The land rested from war. Then we get into chapter 12 and we see the chronicling of events. We see the, you know, the, the chronicles under Moses and then the chronicles under Joshua. Now, from here, Joshua 13, from here to the end of Joshua, we see inheritance. And then there's the blessing at the end, the blessing of Joshua unto Israel. But from here on out, it's inheritance. And so we start here in chapter 13. Remember, the land rested from war. We've seen the war footing of Israel. Now, in accordance to the uh, what the Lord gave to Moses, the instructions for inheritance, now we see the fulfillment of exactly that. And then we start here in Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. Now Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years. (laughs) You know, it's so beautiful when you see this intimacy with the Lord that Joshua has. Joshua unto the Lord, the Lord unto Joshua. Now, a lot of times when we speak about intimacy with the Lord, you know, we a lot of times people think of it as like, a somber thing, uh, a serious thing, a convicting thing, which absolutely it can be any of all of those. Now, in no way, shape, or form do I want to suggest irreverence. No way. We are to be reverent unto the Lord. As believers in Jesus Christ, reverence unto the Lord because He is holy. But at the same time, in intimacy with the Lord, sometimes there's moments of, you know, of course, joy, but the funniest moments you'll have. And I love verse one because I mean, look, just straight up, Joshua's old, advanced in years, and the Lord just tells him, you are old, advanced in years. (laughs) And it's some of my most hilarious moments in my life have been in intimacy with the Lord. Remember, always reverence unto Him. But at the same time, you know, it's when when we're honest with ourselves. You know, we live in a time where the old want to be young, the young want to be old. But in intimacy with the Lord, understand that your identity, if you're walking with the Lord and abiding in Christ, your identity is in Christ. My identity is in Christ. We are a people who are abiding in Christ. And, you know, when you see like, you know, young people who, you know, oh, I can't wait till I'm this age. I can't wait. Like, I, I get my driver's license. I can drive. I can't wait till I can, you know, uh, vote or I can't wait till I can, you know, move out. I can't wait till, you know, a lot of young people want to be old. But then you get to the old people. It's like, man, you know, these were my glory days. I wish I could be young again. And it's like, well, wait a second. When our identity is in Christ, it's like the right here, the right now is glorious. 
The right here, the right now is glorious because we understand that it's the Lord who is doing something inside of us and through us. Now, the through the through us part is always secondary to the inside us part. Always secondary. And that can take time. In a lot of cases, it takes time because we have to learn to die to self. We have to learn to reckon the old man dead. We have to reckon, learn to reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. We have to learn these things. And when it is learned and we apply these things, all of a sudden, you know, there comes a point in a believer's life where the Lord says, okay, I'm going to use you for whatever he wants to use you in whatever capacity that's his call. But that's the beauty of intimacy. Now, this is something that Joshua had, intimacy with the Lord. It's something that Moses had, intimacy with the Lord. It's something that Phineas had. It's something that Hannah has and Samuel has and uh, uh, Naomi has and Ruth has and Esther has. But not everybody has it. Sometimes they have it. Sometimes it wanes. Sometimes they have it. Sometimes it fades and it goes away. But for us as believers, walking with Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law, to understand that our intimacy with the Lord, it can grow, it can get deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's going to be moments in your intimacy with Him where it is somber, where it is serious, especially if you're in a teacher capacity where, you know, or in a pastor capacity where there are things going on inside the church. And, you know, the Lord wants you to say these things and studying the Bible where the Lord wants you to say certain things. Well, you know, well, it hurts you to say certain things because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I don't want to hurt the Lord's feelings. See, there, there are moments in intimacy where it's very serious, very somber, and even convicting too. If you're not walking with the Lord, or if you, you know, sidestep left, you walk according to the flesh. Now, don't forget that the Lord disciplines, He chastises those whom He loves. So, you know, you're going to feel the little tap tap from time to time. And praise be to the Lord because the Bible says the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. The Bible says if we are without chastisement, We are illegitimate children. That's what the Bible says. But in intimacy with the Lord, there's going to be moments of absolute, it's going to be so hilarious. And in no way, shape, or form am I suggesting irreverence. And that's what I see here in verse 1. I'm just straight up, Joshua, you're old, advanced in years. And, you know, I'm certain that Joshua feels it. He doesn't wake up like a spring chicken anymore. He wakes up and feels the aching bones, the aching knees. And, you know, they don't have the orthopedic shoes like we have today. I'm sure he can feel it in his feet. He can feel it in his back. He can feel it all over the place. And he's advanced in years. And the Lord just says straight up, you're old. Advanced in years. You see, when our identity is in the Lord, our identity is in Christ. We don't have to be old and wish we were young. We don't have to be young and wish we were old because the right here, the right now is beautiful. It is glorious. It is gorgeous. It is a sight to behold. Why? Because we understand that the Lord is doing something. We understand that there is purpose in the Lord. 
sometimes saints, believers, sometimes we know what that purpose is. But sometimes there is an aspect of the purpose being unknown. And it's in those moments where, you know, we, where, where it's unknown, where there is patience required, where it's like, okay, Lord, I know that there's a purpose. I know that, you know, that you're going to work things out in the end. I know that you're building. I know that you're constructing. I know that you're, you know, growing me. But at the same time, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like down the road, but Lord, every single day I'm abiding in you. You see, it's like, you know, a, a, a five-year-old who is going to be a brain surgeon. At five years old, that's not going to happen. At 10 years old, that's not going to happen. At 15, not going to happen. 20, still not going to happen. But from five to 10 to 15 to 20, there's the steps that are necessary in order to be a brain surgeon. Because through growth and maturity. But the same thing applies in our walk with the Lord through growth and maturity. It's that same exact concept where, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to be uh, uh, at five years old in a state of a babiness and a state of milk drinker. You know, we're not going to be doing the brain surgery. We're not going to be doing like, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the whatever it is, the, the equivalent. And not that there is an equivalent, but, you know, I'm just speaking in terms of uh, through this example, we're not going to be doing those things. But in the course of time, we might. Not to speak of brain surgery, but pastoral ministry, ministry as elder, as teacher, serving in tables, ministries of healings, you see, using the gifts of the Spirit of which are healing. Don't forget the greatest gift is love. Remember the love chapter from 1 Corinthians chapter 13? And that's, it's beautiful. Intimacy with the Lord. Intimacy with the Lord has is multifaceted. Yes, there's going to be moments of where things are serious and convicting and somber and but at the same time don't forget those moments where it's like you know to, when, when the when jesus christ says of the disciples you know you guys are servants i'm paraphrasing but he says you guys are servants and then in the course of time he says i don't call you servants anymore i don't call you servants anymore i call you my friends you guys are friends because servants don't know what the master is doing but friends they know what the master is doing it's like the example we gave several weeks ago. And, you know, if you've been lit walking with us for a while, you remember. But, you know, if we were servants in a master's house, it's, you know, it's the, 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 day, the first day of serving our new master. It's day one. I'm the cook and, you know, you're the, you, you're the, um, you know, you, you, I cook and you, um, uh, you're the waiter. You know, so, you know, I'm in the kitchen and I'm making something and you take, I'm done and you take the plate to the master. You see, and then you see the master say, you know, he takes off a little bit off the plate. He puts it to the side. He puts it to the side. He doesn't eat it. And he sprinkles pepper on it, sprinkles some Parmesan cheese. You know, he just he jazzes it up to his liking. Now, I didn't prepare it that way because I didn't know. I didn't know what his likes were, what his dislikes were. Now, 
when you know you see him you know if if he asks you you know where's the salt and where's the pepper now you didn't know that he wanted salt you didn't know that he wanted pepper so you come back into the kitchen you say hey give me the salt give me the pepper i give you the salt i give you the pepper you go to the master and then he says you know did you is there some parmesan cheese you didn't know that he was gonna like parmesan cheese so you come back into the kitchen say hey where's the parmesan cheese i say here you go here's the parmesan cheese And so you take it to the master and he puts Parmesan cheese on. And so you and me together, we're learning. We're servants of the Lord, but we're learning more about him. And then in the course of time, he says, you know what? Pull up a chair, join me at the table. Which is, you know, that that's a big deal because, you know, when, you know, in in every single household, there's master and then there's servant. There's master and his family. And then there's the servant class, which, you know, we, those households, they have their own quarters. The servants, they have their own quarters. And there's no intermingling. But in this house, it's different. Our master says, hey, pull up a chair. Hey, join me for breakfast. Join me for lunch. And after lunch, you know, hey, you know, let's sit down and let's, let's converse. Let's have beautiful conversation. Let's fellowship. Hey, why don't you want me to take a walk? Why don't you walk with me? What master does this? It's unheard of. You see, and then in the course of time, he says, you know what? You guys, I love you guys. And then we say to him, you know what? We love you. And then we serve our time as servants and we have the opportunity to be free. The door is open and we say, no, master, I know we have our families. I know we can do this and, and, and probably be well off and well to do and, you know, go off and grow our flocks and whatever it is. But you know what, master? We love you. We love you. And we don't want to leave you. We want to stay here as your servants. And he says, you know what? I love you too. And then we start the process. I said process, but you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, you take the, the all and you go to the door, the doorway of the home and you know, you put the through like a, like an ear piercing. You take the all and it goes through the ear, the right ear. And so now we're servants in the master's house and you know, he might have guests or we might see somebody and you know, they look at our ears and they say like, wow, this isn't a servant. Like, you know, these other servants over here, this is a bond servant. This is a bondservant. Somebody who had the opportunity to be free and go off and, you know, in, in, into the world, go on, you know, serve time as servant and is okay, okay, now you're, you're, you know, you're free to live your life. But we rejected that. We rejected that and became bondservants. You see? Why? Because we love our master. And it's not just we love our master and we're robots. We love our master and he loves us. So say we're a weekend as serving our master as bond servants. And he says, you know what? I, you guys aren't servants anymore. You guys are my friends. You see, because I'm in the kitchen and I make the meal exactly like I know he likes because it's not day one anymore. There's been time where we've learned about him. You see? 
You bring out the plates, his favorite plates, and he doesn't ask you, oh, can I have a side of this, a side of this? Because you know. You're not coming into the kitchen saying, hey, give me the Parmesan cheese. Where's the salt pepper? Where's the, where's the paprika? That's not happening. Why? Because you and me, we know. See, servants don't know these things. Servants, they don't, servants, they wonder what the master's doing. Master, what do you want? What, you know, what, master, what do you desire? What do you like? Oh, Lord, what, you know, master, what is it? But friends, friends don't wonder. Friends know. And that happens with intimacy. Remember, Abraham was a friend of God. And Jesus says to the disciples, you know, and when, you know, you guys are servants. And then in the course of time, I don't call you servants anymore. Because servants don't wonder what the master is doing. I call you friends. And it's, that's the beauty of intimacy with the Lord. And so the Lord continues speaking to Joshua. Yes, you are old, advanced in years. And he says, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains all the territory of the Philistines, in verse 2, and all of the Geshurites from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gezites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, also the Avites. From the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Meara that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites and all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Belgad toward Mount Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath. In verse 6, all the inhabitants of the mountains of Lebanon as far as the brook Misrephoth. And all the Sidonians, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divided by lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now remember, these blueprints are very specific. It's nothing willy-nilly. It's not Joshua and the children of Israel arriving in a certain region and saying, okay, you know, there's a new sheriff in town and this is how it's going to be. They're not just, you know, like, okay, we're going to conquer this and we're going to conquer this. And no, it's not that mindset at all. These blueprints are very specific as given to Joshua, which also as given to Moses. And that's the beauty of intimacy, understanding the blueprints. It's not willy-nilly. It's not Joshua coming into town and saying, okay, it's my way or the highway. It's not Moses coming into town saying, it's my way or the highway. It's these vessels of the Lord saying, we are a people of the Lord. It's his way, not our way. It is his way. And that's the beauty of intimacy. You know what else is not willy-nilly? Joshua's walk with the Lord. Joshua's walk with the Lord is not willy-nilly. It's not like, well, I want to feel good about myself, so I'm going to be a Christian for a week, and then I'm going to go party hardy in two weeks. No, godliness for Joshua, just as we mentioned on Sunday, it just so happens, it just so happens. Godliness was a lifestyle choice for Joshua. Joshua. 
You see? Godliness as a lifestyle choice. Now, of course, godliness is a choice. I mean, a person comes to Christ and believes in Jesus Christ. That's a choice. Absolutely, it's a choice. But that's the choice for day one. The, day, the, 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 the birthday. A person comes to Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. Boom, day one. What about tomorrow? What about the following week? The following month? The following year? The following decade? You see, sometimes people think, okay, I'm, I believe in Jesus Christ, and okay, I'm going to go back to my crack, my sex, my Buddha, my Ouija boards, my gambling. You know, it doesn't work that way. We are to abide in Jesus Christ. And to abide in Jesus Christ is to obey Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus is the one who says, if you love me, follow me. If you love me, obey my commandments. You see? You say, I love Jesus Christ, I love Jesus Christ, but I also like the crack. I also like the sex. I also like the Buddha. I also like, you know, Virgin Mary. I also like, you know, gambling. That's what Jesus Christ says, that light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. Not instead of the light, more than the light. You see, it's not like there's light and dark and a person hates the light. You know, there's aspects of that too, where, you know, sometimes people just straight up hate the light. But the Bible says, Jesus Christ says, you know, light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. You see, oh, I love Jesus, but wow, there's this crack Wow, I love Jesus, but, you know, wow, there's this sex, there's this Buddha, there's the Virgin Mary, there's the occult, you know, there's these Ouija boards, there's, you know, the uh, uh, the casinos. You see, people love darkness more than the light. But for a remnant, the remnant loves the light more than anything else. That's the way of the remnant. Not willy-nilly. Intimacy. It's not just, you know, intimacy with the Lord. It's not just one moment. Intimacy with the Lord is like for every single day for the rest of our lives. And Joshua's walk with the Lord, you know, his choice to, for godliness and to walk in accordance in the manner that is pleasing to the Lord. Do you remember when all of Israel was defiled? Who wasn't? Moses and Joshua. Of the second generation, when all of Israel was fearful of the Canaanites, who wasn't? Caleb and Joshua. You see, Joshua made a lifestyle choice. His lifestyle choice was godliness, righteousness. Not in a manner that seemed right to him, but in a manner that the Lord says, this is righteousness. This is godliness. And Joshua aligned himself to that standard. You see, people have an idea of what righteousness looks like. People have an idea of what godliness looks like. But we have to go to the source. What does the Lord say righteousness is? What does the Lord say godliness is? Because all else is just religion. It's just, it's just religion. If, if, if a person is going to 
you know, oh yeah, you know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm righteous and, you know, I live unto the Lord and I have this outward appearance of what godliness looks like. I have this outward appearance of what holiness looks like, but it's something that is completely anathema to the word of God. It's not found in the word of God. It's only religion. It's only religion. And sometimes, you know, you see a person's house. Oh, yes, I'm religious. I choose, I've chosen to live godly. And you see all these statues, you know, statues in their house. You know, they got angels here and, you know, statues of saints in their house and crosses all over the house and all these, you know, and then they have like this, you know, this, uh, like a, like a, uh, uh, it's almost like idolatry. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's almost like idolatry. It is idolatry. Talking to angels, praying to angels. Oh, yeah, you know, look, I'm holy, I'm righteous. And they might have an appearance of something that appears to be holy. But in the blueprints, and I'm speaking of the word of God, the full counsel of the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. We're not to worship creation. We're not to worship angels. You see, people have an idea of what holiness looks like, but it's an idea. But when you read the Bible, we see what holiness looks like. We see what righteousness looks like. Why? Because we go to the source. It's what the Bible says. And then we see people doing it like, you know, what the Lord says in, 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 in Genesis, uh, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you see what is pleasing to the Lord? Moses does it. Moses responds to that. Joshua responds to that. And they chose holiness and godliness and righteousness according to what the Lord says. It's the same for you and me. We see what the Bible says about godliness and righteousness. And we respond to the Lord. We choose godliness as our lifestyle choice. But it's in accordance to the blueprints that the Lord has set before us in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Not what Joe Schmo says, not what this guy on TV says, not what the lady on TV says, not what, you know, New York Times bestseller says, but what the Bible says. You see? What the Bible says. And it is written that obedience is better than the fat of rams. And offering unto the Lord. Obedience. That's when Jesus says, listen, if you love me, follow me. If you love me, obey my commandments. And what does he say to do? What does he say to not do? And then, you know, he makes his, the, the word goes forth. Now everybody balls in their court. Balls in their court. For you and me, balls in our court. Just like for Moses, ball was in his court. Just like for Joshua, ball was in his court. Just like for Hannah, just like for Ruth, ball was in their court. And they, they chose rightly and they responded to what the Lord says in accordance to blueprints, holy blueprints. And remember, the Lord is reactionary. So you have these people, godly men, godly women. They respond rightly to the Lord. 
And then the Lord responds to that. And then you see how intimacy can grow from there. It's, I keep saying, you hear us say this all the time, like it's so beautiful, it's so beautiful, it's so beautiful. That's only because I don't have the words to say it's so beautiful because I want to say it's so beautiful times infinity. I just don't know the word for it. I mean, if there is a word for it. But that's intimacy. Joshua absolutely has it. Moses absolutely had it. Hannah, Samuel. Remember the high priest, Eli? And the Lord did not speak to the high priest. Why? Formula was off. Now, you, you, you might hear me say this about Eli, the high priest, and someone might say like, oh, how dare you say this? He's the high priest. How dare you say this against the high priest? But when you understand formula, when you understand the blueprints of what the Bible says, you know that Eli is wicked. You know why the Lord speaks to Samuel. But when you don't understand formula, you just figure, wow, how dare you say that? Because, you know, Eli is the high priest. You see? But when you understand formula, you realize, you know, the guy on TV, he's crazy town. The lady on TV, he's crazy town. New York Times bestseller, they're crazy town. Why? Because you understand formula. You understand sound doctrine. From there stems all sorts of beautiful things. Gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, joy, love, you know, the greatest gift, love. From there, sound doctrine stems all kinds of beautiful things. You know, just as the Bible says, the root of Jesse, remember the stump? Remember the stump? If you reflect back on our studies in the book of Romans, in chapter uh, uh, 8, 9, 10, and 11, you see the stump and then the root of Jesse and the word became flesh. And what stems from there? Well, that's the Lord's doing. Then you see the gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. Everything based in sound doctrine and housed in the confines of sound doctrine. Why? Because the Bible says of the Lord that his word is above his name. His word is above his name. Everything in accordance to his word. Genesis to Revelation. When anything is outside of that formula, you will not see the fruit of the spirit. You will not see the, the walks, the, the, the walks, the fruit and the gifts of the spirit. You'll see the fake. But that's exactly what it is. It's fake. These blueprints are very specific. Nothing willy-nilly. Godliness as a lifestyle choice, just like Moses, just like Joshua, just like Hannah, just like Samuel, just like Amos, just like Peter, just like Paul. Just like John. I mean, consider Mary. The, the beauty of Mary for 
the Lord to know that, you know, it's the, the moment of fulfillment. Now, who am I going to use? And for his eyes to be on beautiful, 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 beautiful Mary. That's my gal. You see, not to worship Mary. The Bible says, do not worship creation. You see, do not worship creation. Now, for my Catholic friends, whom I love, they say Mary was, you know, sinless. Mary was without sin. But when she speaks of the Lord, she speaks of her need of a Savior. If she was without sin, why would she even utter those words that she's in need of a Savior if she's without sin? There is only one without sin. His name is Jesus Christ. If you're Catholic, I love you. And I say these things as a former Catholic. The Lord rescued me from Catholicism. And I say unto you, come out of her, my people. Catholicism is unbiblical. We are not to worship creation. We are not to worship angels. I mean, even the angels say that, you know, when, you know, uh, a, a, a vessel of the Lord would fall down to worship the angels and see that you don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. You see? The blueprints are very specific. Very specific. Not difficult, very specific. Sometimes we attach specific and difficulty. Don't do that because it's, very easy, very simple, but very specific. I mean, have you ever put like Legos together? You know, it's like super, super, like the baby, the baby Legos, you know, like super, super where the blocks are like, you know, the size of a coffee cup, you know, each Lego piece is the size of a coffee cup. And, you know, you look at the instructions, it's not even words, it's just pictures, you know, this block here, this block here. It's super, super easy, but very specific. Just like our walk with the Lord. It's super easy. Remember Paul was like, you know, simplicity. He says, I worry for you that you're going to turn from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's what he says to the Corinthians. To the Galatians, I marvel that you you turn away so quickly. That you quickly turn away from the Lord. Because people come in and they try to complicate things. Instead of being, you know, the big block Legos and they turn it into like, you know, little minuscule microscopic little Lego parts where you need magnifying glasses to see and this and that and this and that. And they complicate and they say, okay, add a little bit of this, add a little bit of that. And they overcomplicate. And all that does is just muddy the waters. But it's so easy. Very specific, but very easy. Don't attach difficulty to specificity. Blueprints are very specific, but very easy. Now, I understand that if you're a baby in Christ, don't feel bad because you're a baby in Christ. You know, remember, our identity is in Christ. You know, it's bad to be on milk and stay on milk. But if you're a baby, no, milk is, that's, that's, that's how you get nutrients, milk. The problem is when Christians stay on milk. That's the problem. Milk isn't the problem. The problem is the saint who decides and chooses to stay on milk. 
But if you're a milk drinker, and remember, if you're a mature Christian, it's not to look down on the milk drinker. Remember our rugby match from the book of Romans? Remember the rugby match? It's not to look down on the milk drinker. It's to understand, okay, this person's on milk. And when that person's on milk, what is of utmost importance is their conscience before the Lord. You see? Their conscience before the Lord. Because a a, a milk-drinking Christian who's not on milk for 10 years, but a brand new believer, they don't know the depths of sound doctrine. You see? And so that's why conscience is very important. But the blueprints are very easy. Very easy. Now, you know, just like those, those Lego blocks, not the, not the teenage Legos, but like the little to- toddler block where the blocks are the size of a coffee cup. Now, a brand new baby, fresh baby, for that fresh baby, you know, a, 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 a basketball sized Lego piece, there's going to be difficulty with that. Because it's a fresh, brand new baby. They, they can't even speak. They can't even, you know, formulate words. They're a fresh baby. But the same applies to our faith. Don't be discouraged. If you're a baby in Christ, you're a fresh believer in Christ, you're freshly born again, don't be discouraged that, you know, there's limitations to knowledge. But understand, just as with a very young child, there are limitations to knowledge. But knowledge can grow. And also, knowledge is a gift of the Spirit, not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is love. You see? We see this example of very specific blueprints, just like we see here in verse 6, where the Lord says, divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I have commanded you. You see, very specific blueprints, but it's not difficult. In verse 7, he's, you know, we see here, now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. This is end quote. Where, you know, in verse 1 where the Lord says, you are old, advanced in years, that's the beginning of the quote. The end of the quote here is here in verse 7. And God is explaining to Joshua that west of the Jordan, this is what you do. East of the Jordan, now, that was given to Moses. Remember in Numbers 32? In Numbers 32, the, the instructions east of the Jordan were given to Moses, which Moses passed on to Joshua to do. You see, at this particular junction in Joshua 13, Moses, he's died. Moses has died. The fulfillment of the instructions given to Moses is for Joshua to do and experience. Which this requires a passing down of the blueprints, a passing down of the instructions. Where Moses, the the Lord says to Moses... And Moses says to Joshua, it's for Joshua to do and for Joshua to experience. This is also fulfillment of promise to Abraham, who also died. And of this promise to Abraham, there is more to this fulfillment of God's promise. You know what that is? You and me. You and me. 
heirs of Abraham, not through the law, heirs of Abraham by faith and accordance to promise to Abraham. This is how instruction passes on to the next generation. Instruction in righteousness passes on to the next generation because the Lord is speaking to Joshua in verse 1 through 7 about what to do west of the Jordan, but east of the Jordan, the Lord said it to Moses and Moses said it to Joshua and it's for Joshua to do and experience and you know live in that fulfillment. But faithful stewardship is required. It isn't the Lord speaking to Moses and then Moses making his additions to it. Moses taking a little bit off and saying, okay, I know the Lord says this, but Joshua, this is, this is what you got to do. No, faithful stewardship is required. The Lord to Moses, Moses to Joshua, you see, and for Joshua to do. Very specific. It's, you know, it's beautiful because, I mean, just in this passage, I mean, east of the Jordan, east of the Jordan, Joshua has the blueprints and instructions that were given to him by Moses that the Lord gave to Moses. But then west of the Jordan, the Lord is speaking to Joshua. This is what you do west of the Jordan. You see? Because there's this, in, in, in obedience to the Lord, Moses passed it on to Joshua. And it's not to say that Joshua is doing things in accordance to Moses. It's in accordance to the Lord as given to Moses. And Joshua is not outside of intimacy himself with the Lord. And you might wonder, like, okay, well, I, I get it. Why is he stressing this? Because we see the exact same thing with Paul and Timothy. We see the exact same thing with Paul and Timothy, where Paul receives instruction. Remember, he says, I didn't confer with flesh. I didn't immediately confer with the flesh. He receives instruction from the Lord. A Pharisee of Pharisees in his BC days. And then he instructs Timothy, Timothy, this is what the church needs to look like. This is the formula. These are the blueprints of church. This is the blueprints and formula for you, Timothy, serving in this capacity as shepherd, as a worker in the field of the Lord, as a worker in the building of the Lord. These are the blueprints for you, Timothy. And you've seen the pattern in me, Timothy. And Timothy, this is what you have to do. This is the formula. This is the blueprints for you in conduct. But then not just that, as you are now a pattern and also a pattern, this is what you have to look for in other, the next generation of leadership. This is the formula for pastor. This is the formula for overseer. This is the construct of these blueprints. Now, Paul is going to die. I mean, he's dead now, but I mean, in our study in Timothy, Paul is going to die. Second Timothy, the last book written, the last letter written by Paul, captured in scripture. Chronologically speaking, the last letter. We still have a couple books left, Titus and uh, Philemon, but you know, uh, uh, the last letter, chronologically speaking. Now, Paul 
receives of the Lord, gives to Timothy, and Timothy is obedient to the Lord as instructed by Paul, a vessel of the Lord. But at the same time, it's not to say that Timothy is absent his own intimacy with the Lord. You see, just like we see with Moses and Joshua. The Lord for 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 west of the uh, or for east of the Jordan, the Lord gives to Moses. Moses gives to Joshua. Joshua does. You see? But for his own intimacy, Joshua receives of the Lord for west of the Jordan in Joshua 1 verse uh, chapter 13 verse 1 through 7. But then the same with Paul and Timothy, where Paul says, "Okay, these are the blueprints, Timothy." This is your conduct and this is what the, you know, what is for the, the churches and this is what, this is the formula for pastoral leadership. Remember, one-on-one letter that got leaked. The Lord leaked it so that we can know what the formula looks like so that we can know who is it that we submit to as pastor. The person who watches out for our souls. That's not to say that Timothy himself is absent intimacy with the Lord because he does have intimacy with the Lord. But that's how these instructions are passed down generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. Parents to kids. The kids grow up. Them as adults now, they have their own kids and then they pass it on to their kids and that's how it passes on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. That's how righteousness passes on. It's taught. And it's not just, you know, who has the title because look at Eli. He had the title of high priest, but the Lord wasn't speaking to him. It's in accordance to the formula. In accordance to blueprints. You see? Pastors today, they have their intimacy with the Lord. They absolutely have their own intimacy with the Lord. Instructions from the Lord in this deep intimacy with the Lord. But there must be sound doctrine in place. As found in the truth of Scripture. As given by holy men of old. Moses, Joshua, the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Zephaniah, Matthew, former tax collector, Dr. Luke, Paul, Peter, John, everything in accordance, understanding covenants, understanding rules of engagement, in accordance to the covenants. You see? And pastors today absolutely have their intimacy with the Lord. Absolutely have instruction from the Lord. When the formula is right, we're talking full package pastors. But it's always, always, always within the confines of sound doctrine. Always. Where it isn't, you must not submit to such a person. You must not. You cannot. Because we're living in a time where apostasy isn't coming. Apostasy is straight up. It's here. 
where people, they just, they hear the pastors say, you know, okay, let's, you know, take the mark of the beast and still be saved. Oh, God is done with Israel. Oh, let's go grave soaking. We live in a time where it is happening. And that's just, you know, this is just surface stuff. It's much deeper and it's much more wicked. Especially when you look at the vessels of who says these things, when Paul says, you know, it's another gospel, another spirit, another Jesus, Sudadelphos, servants of Satan, and Christians get themselves into deep trouble because they just figure, okay, willy-nilly, I'm going to submit to this guy. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. We are living in perilous times. You cannot submit to willy-nilly. You have to be a Berean and understand the scriptures. And when the Lord reveals to you, this guy is a biblically qualified pastor. This man, coverings always male, speaking of pastoral leadership and elders, this man is biblically qualified to be a spiritual covering. Once you have that, once you see that, when you understand formula because you're a Berean and you see that in a biblically qualified man, you know that he's watching out for your soul. Why? Because he's not just a faithful servant unto the Lord. He's a friend of God. You see? And saints today, in this in this plague of apostasy, when there's no love of truth, it's one of the signs of the last days, one of many, many, many signs of the last days. Strong delusion, it's a form of judgment of the Lord, but it's a result of not loving the truth. And that's how apostasy starts, and that's, that's how apostasy spreads, and that's how apostasy gets worse and worse and worse and worse. You see? But there's a remnant. There's a remnant. And the whole purpose, the whole purpose of these godly men, these leaders of old, the priests, the prophets, today, pastors, shepherds, elders, teachers, ministry leaders, it's not for self-exaltation. It's not for, so, oh, look, that guy's a pastor. Oh, look, he's so awesome. Remember, Paul says, we're the scum of the earth. We're trash. It's for people to be right with the Lord. Old Testament, New Testament. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. How does that happen for people to be right with the Lord? Well, people need to be taught. People need to be equipped. And people need to be trained. Just as the Bible says, the full counsel of the Word of God. Just as we see in the Old Testament, just as we see in the New Testament, and it's rare, but just as we see today among the remnant. Outside of the remnant, you see all kinds of mess. But even the mess that we see today is fulfillment of Scripture. And all scripture will be fulfilled. You see? 
And so we see here in verse 8. Now, we don't see quote here. I mean, verse 1, and the Lord said to him, quote, you are old, advanced in years, in verse 1. In verse 7, you know, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh, end quote. Here you don't see a new quote. Why? Moses told Joshua. You see? Moses told Joshua. And so we see here in verse 8, with the other half-tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward. Remember when they came to Moses and they say, you know, Moses, look, this land is good. You know, can we have this land? And, you know, Moses, you know, receives of the Lord and says, okay, yeah, but you still got to fight. This isn't a way for you to get out of the fight. It's not like, you know, there's a war, you know, there's a war and then people, they, they go to Canada, they, they flee there, you know, they, they want to draft the dodge, uh, uh, dodge the draft, you know, or, you know, hey, we're going to go to Mexico, we're afraid to go fight and we don't want to fight and so we're going to go be, become Canadians. And Moses says, listen, it's, 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 this isn't a way to get out of the fight. No, you got to fight. You got to fight. And after the fight, then you can, you know, this is permissible east of the Jordan. But this isn't a way for you to, you know, be a, 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 a draft dodger. You see? And so we see here in verse 8, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them from Aroer, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plains of Medeba, as far as Dibon, and all the cities of Sihon, in verse 10, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon, Gilead, and the border of the Geshurites and uh, Machathites, all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan, as far as Salka. These, these are names, these towns, these are names that we've studied already. I mean, for the most part, we've already studied this. There's going to be more and we're going to see lands that when, when Israel, under the leadership of Joshua and the elders, it's so beautiful, it is so glorious. But when they die, when Joshua dies and the elders die, it goes downhill very fast. And when Israel forgets the Lord and becomes apostate, you're going to see these lands, uh, uh, you're going to see these cities and towns that we're looking at today, which are an inheritance unto Israel, you're going to see them be lost again. Why? Because God was forgotten. And when God becomes forgotten, you see the blessing of the people, the blessing on the land, it starts to dissipate. It deteriorates. It starts to decay. You see? Remember, the Lord was very specific to Moses and says, listen, this land is an inheritance, but you're inheriting the land. Not because you're awesome. It's not because you're awesome. You are a, you know, a stiff-necked people. It's not because you're awesome. Remember our study in Deuteronomy 9? It's because the people, they are a wicked people. 
That's why. They are a wicked people. And it's judgment unto them. You say, well, how can it be judgment unto them? Because the door of mercy and grace has been opened for 40 years. When the Lord made himself known to the Egyptians and Pharaoh, the door of mercy and grace has been opened. There was plenty, ample opportunity for the residents of those towns and even the whole town itself for those kings to repent and align themselves to the Lord God of Israel. But that didn't happen for the most part. It did happen with some people. Remember Gibeon, the Gibeonites, the mixed bag of Gentiles. Remember Rahab, the harlot? They did. They aligned themselves to the God of Israel. But everybody else, judgment. Because they did not align themselves to the God of Israel. When the Lord says to Moses, this inheritance, it's not because you're awesome. It's not because you guys are cool. It's not because it's fulfillment of promise. But at the same time, it's not because you're awesome. It's because of the wickedness. Now, what happens when Joshua and the the leadership, the elders, when they die? You know what happens? Israel, they forget the Lord. And their wickedness surpasses the wickedness of these lands and when that happens it's judgment when these lands get overtaken again you see today you know i teach from america and sometimes patriots get really mad at me how can you say this how can you say this look we're you know the land of the free the home of the brave it's america one nation under god well Are we under God? Are we under God? As a a nation, are we under God? And I, I, I say this to the American citizens. As a nation, are we under God? Which God? Because if it's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as a nation, we're in trouble. As a state... We're in trouble. As a city, we're in trouble. As a town, we're in trouble. As a home, we're in trouble. As a person, if the formula is not right, you're in trouble. You see? Each person has a choice to make. As the Lord teaches and as the Lord grows us and matures us, the full counsel of the word of God. Speaking to the patriot, when we think of one nation under God, it cannot be one nation under Buddha. It cannot be one nation under Virgin Mary. It cannot be one nation under Another God created by an idea of what righteousness is. We know that, yes, the Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation. But righteousness according to who? 
According to Buddha, wrong formula. According to the Krishnas, wrong formula. Oh, you're so mean. The Krishnas are nice. Oh, you're so mean. Virgin Mary, those people are nice. I'm not talking about niceties. I'm not talking about, you know, let's, you know, let everybody feel good about themselves. I'm talking about a very, very holy recipe in accordance to the word of God. Because if America is not under the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're in trouble. If Sudan is not under the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're in trouble. You see? If Argentina is not under the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're in trouble. If China is not under the the God of the Bible, we're in trouble. If Russia isn't, we're in trouble. If this whole world isn't, we're in trouble. You don't need me to tell you this, but the world is not. Nations are not. You see? And when Israel, Joshua, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but in the course of time, you know, at this moment, you know, Joshua, you know, at this particular juncture in Joshua 13, Joshua is old, advanced in years, and it's acknowledged by the Lord. You know, the Lord says to Joshua, Joshua, you're old, advanced in years. And when Joshua dies and those elders die, you see, leadership matters. Leadership matters a lot because when they die, Israel forgets the Lord. And remember, the Lord says, it's not because you're awesome. You're not inheriting this land because you're awesome. You are a stiff-necked people. And then you see, they go back to the stiff-neckedness. Going back to stiff-neckedness, all of a sudden, it's like the building blocks of how the Lord becomes forgotten, which is a process, a devolving. And their wickedness, I mean, you see what the Lord did to Achan when there was the sin of Achan, and that was just one person. What about when there's the sin of two people, when there's the sin of 20 people, when there's the sin of thousands, when there's the sin of everybody? The formula is wrong in the camp. And all of a sudden, these towns get overtaken again. And that's what we see in countries all around the world. Countries all over the world are being overtaken. Overtaken. Oh, we're one nation under God. It's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be this way. If we're one nation under the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you see, understand it's righteousness that exalts a nation. And the Lord says, if my people would humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear and I will heal heal their land. That's what he says. He doesn't say if 100% of all the population would humble themselves and repent and seek my face. No, he says, if my people, if my people, you know what that is? That's you and me. The Lord says, I will, he doesn't say, 
I might think about it and I might, you know, wait a couple days, wait an hour, wait 10 years, and then I'll heal, heal their land. He says, if my people, if they do that, just like we always say, the Lord is reactionary. The Lord confirms himself. You know, if my people do that, I will react. How does he react? I will heal their land. So why isn't that happening? People don't have the formula. People don't have the recipe. Why is that happening? No love of truth. Apostasy. Strong delusion. When you hear us say that this door of grace is closing, it's not just willy-nilly a statement like, well, you know, I think the door is closing. The Lord says exactly what he'll do. And you remember our study in Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy, uh, uh, you know, where the Lord says, you know, you do this, I'll do this. You don't do this, I'll do this. This is how, He gives like blueprints of how he'll respond. If, if, and the Lord is just doing exactly what he said he would do. Nobody should be surprised. Nobody should be surprised because the Lord is just doing exactly what he said he would do. That's it. It happens with Israel. When Joshua and the elders die, the Lord becomes forgotten. And then the, the decay sets in. And these lands that are in have been inherited by Israel, all of a sudden, they get lost once again. They get overtaken. Israel lose grounds. The borders shrink. Instead of the borders enlarging, the borders shrink. It's because God was forgotten. But it's the same today. You see? When Sudan forgets the Lord, when Ethiopia forgets the Lord, when Qatar forgets the Lord, you see? When Paris forgets the Lord, when Canada forgets the Lord, when Chile forgets the Lord. That's what happens. And so we continue in this study, this in verse 12 and all the kingdom of Og in Bashan who reigned in Ashtaroth in Edrei, who remained of the remnant of the giants for Moses has de had defeated and cast these and cast out these. Now, remember, this is during the war footing of Israel. Now, at this particular juncture, there's a time of healing. Joshua is an old man at this, at this particular juncture. The inheritance, and remember, it's not because you're awesome. And in this war footing of Israel, which is extended through time, you know, under the leadership of Moses, the war footing of Israel, under the leadership of Joshua, the war footing of Israel. Then we see in verse 13, nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machathites, but the Geshurites and the Machathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Now, this happens later under the leadership of Joshua, which is a future war footing of Israel. 
when the Lord is remembered once again under the leadership of under the leadership of David. You see, and that's what's so powerful about now. There's you know Israel under the leadership of David, but you know David himself forgets the Lord. You see, it's momentarily. I mean, you look at Saul, you look at David, both forget the Lord, but only one repents and is right with the Lord once again. You see, Saul doesn't repent. Saul gets worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where he's seeking counsel from a witch, the witch of Endor. You see, Baal was in his court, Baal was in Saul's court. He made his choice. Baal was in David's court. David David honored the Lord, grew up in the Lord, honored the Lord. And then even in David, the Lord became forgotten. Just like in Saul, the Lord became forgotten. In Saul, no repentance. And no repentance, it got worse and worse and worse to the point where he's seeking counsel from a witch. An abomination before the Lord, the witch of Endor. You see? David forgot the Lord and then repentance and he remembered the Lord. And in his repentance, he was there was restoration by the Lord, but he still had to reap what he had sown. And that was in his family. You see, to be right with the Lord is absolutely beautiful. But every single person still has to reap what was sown. Every single person has to reap what they have sown. Sometimes people forget that. Especially like husbands who are unfaithful. Sexually unfaithful. They say, okay, wife, look, I'm right with the Lord. You know, I didn't repent until you caught me. I didn't get right with the Lord until you caught me, but now I'm right with the Lord. Okay, now everything has to go be back to normal. Everything's fine and dandy. Everything has to go back to normal. Look, the Bible says you have to submit to me. The Bible says you have to love me. Hey, kids, look, the Bible says you have to love me. You have to forgive me. All these things. Okay, we're going back to normal. Normal ain't coming back. A guy can be right with the Lord. But he still has to reap what he has sown. The wife might leave him. The kids might never want to see them again. The guy is right with the Lord. But he's reaping what he has sown. You see? You can't force anybody. You can't force anybody to have any type of emotion toward anybody, even yourself. You cannot force it. Only the Lord can touch hearts. Only the Lord can touch minds. Now, vessels of the Lord, when the formula is right, they have a very unique ability. Like... Look at Israel without Achan. Israel with Achan, loss, casualties. Israel without Achan, victory upon victory upon victory upon victory. Look at Paul. When he was 
He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He says, I am crucified with Christ. And we place heavy emphasis on, yes, that is Paul who said that. It's not to say that it's not for us. It's not to say that it's not for anybody. But every single person has their choice to make. For Paul, he was crucified. For Paul, he was a dead man. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the demons... The demons were the ones who said, you know, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who in the world are you? He said that to the seven sons of Siva. Who in the world are you? You're not a threat. Jesus, he's a threat. He's dangerous. Paul, he's a threat. He's dangerous. You, pipsqueak, piece of cake. You know, we don't even know you. Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who in the world are you? You see? formula. Paul was a threat to the demons. Very dangerous man to the demons. Carnally speaking, Paul was beaten. Carnally speaking, thrown in prison. Carnally speaking, it wasn't a threat at all. Spiritually speaking, see, very dangerous. The good dangerous. Because he understood the rules of engagement. It's not a war according to the flesh. It's a war according to the spirit. He understands the covenants. He understands the rules of engagement. You see? And a lot of times when we don't understand, we just, you know, just, just take the example. The guy is unfaithful to his wife. Hey, wife, you know, I didn't repent. But now that you caught me, I repent. And I'm right with the Lord now. So you got to forgive me. Kids, you got to forgive me. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. A, a man in that situation, in this scenario, that man cannot manipulate the wife to behave in whatever manner that he desires. That man cannot manipulate the kids to behave in a manner that it is in accordance to his desires. Oh, my sin caught me. My sin, you know, is, came to the surface. My sin found me out. And okay, I'm right with the Lord now. Everybody, we, everything's back to normal now. Nope. Normal's gone. Normal's gone. The dad cannot blame the wife. The dad cannot blame the kids. The dad only has himself to blame. It could very well be that the wife leaves him. Divorce. Which is biblical. Yes, the Lord hates divorce. And a lot of times husbands caught in adultery, they say, well, you know, look, the Lord hates divorce. The Lord hates divorce, so he can't divorce me. No, 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 no. The husband by that very act and by the very behavior, already divorced his wife because the marriage bed was broken. You see? And a lot of wives have like, you know, the guilt trips. You know, I know the Lord hates divorce, so I don't want to get a divorce. And I don't want to be a vessel that, you know, brings this impurity on me or the kids. And so wives are kind of... The guilt trips. Sometimes it's the pastor that gives them guilt trips. Well, you have to submit to your husband and... 
you know, look, you're kind of chubby. And so, you know, your husband had every right to go and see this lady over there. Your husband had every right to go to the strippers and the prostitutes because look, you're chubby. You're wrinkly, you know, and you know, chubby. So go to the gym and you see these pastors, supposedly godly men. I'm doing my air quotes. They got the pastor parking spot. They got the name tag that says, I'm the head pastor. But they're just like Eli. They got the title. They got the title. But the Lord's not with them. You see? And a lot of women who don't understand formula. They just, you know, read Hebrews and figure, okay, I got to submit to the pastor. So I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to forgive my husband. I'm going to go to the gym, work out, and I'm going to prevent the divorce from happening. I'm going to prevent my husband from, you know, going to the prostitutes and going to the sex and going to the whatever and doing, you know, all kinds of disgusting things. I'm going to prevent that from happening. You know, it's on me now. It's my responsibility to prevent that from happening. Let me tell you something. Wives. My beautiful sisters in Christ. When your identity is in Christ, the real Jesus, I don't care what in the world you look like. You could be, you know, 200 pounds, 300 pounds, 400 pounds. You can have wrinkle upon wrinkle upon wrinkle. And when your identity is in Christ, I don't care how old you are. You are exquisitely gorgeous gorgeous a thing of beauty a lot of times pastors they like to give the guilt trip pastors even teach from the pulpit that men have problems with pornography because the wives have let themselves go the wives are chubby the wives are wrinkly And the women's fellowships, instead of opening up the Bible and feeding on the word of God, the women's fellowships, it's like, okay, we're going to go to the gym. We're going to have women's fellowship at the gym. We're going to have women's fellowship here. Come over to my house and we're going to do this, you know, our ab workout. We're going to have fellowship. You see? I don't want to introduce anything crass in mentioning this. But some churches even have pole dancing. You see? They call themselves churches. And the women, they're doing their... Instead of being in the Bible, they put the Bible to the side and they start using carnal means to fight in a battle that is entirely 100% spiritual. And that whole process, you know what else is happening? The Lord is being forgotten. And when the Lord is forgotten, all kinds of decay comes in. That's the state of the church. That's the state of the church. You see? So when we see the beauty of this inheritance of the land... It's so beautiful to see in accordance to promise, in, in accordance to what the Lord says to Moses, 
but also in accordance to the promises of what the Lord says to Abraham. But then at the same time, when Israel forgets the Lord, it goes downhill very fast. The decay sets in. You don't see victory upon victory upon victory anymore. You see loss upon loss upon loss because there's no formula. What do we do? We got to go to the priest to understand the formula. We got to go to the priest. Let's understand the formula. What if the Lord isn't with the priest? As with Eli and his wicked sons. You see? And then the Lord uses the prophets. Samuel. Isaiah. Jeremiah. Ezekiel. Zephaniah. Haggai. You see? The Lord uses the prophets. Then the church age comes. The root of Jesse. Until the seed. Remember our study in Galatians? Until the seed. You see? The root of Jesse. It's the root that supports the branches, not the branches that support the root. And who does the Lord use? His apostles. Who does the Lord use today? Shepherds. Pastors. Teachers. In accordance to the blueprints, in accordance to formula, in accordance to recipe. But when that is forgotten, all kinds of mess. You see? But the remnant is unique. Because the remnant doesn't forget. The remnant remembers. And so we see here in in verse um, 13, Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machathites, but the Geshurites and the Machathites dwell among Israel until this day. Now, this is something that David takes care of later in this another war footing of Israel. Because, you know, understand that, you know, we look at this war footing of Israel and in, in Joshua, you see, you know, it, you, you see the war footing of Israel. But then also you see a moment of rest where there is no war in the land and Joshua is an old man, you know, uh, the, the, the fullness of years, advanced in years, and he's old. But understand that to everything, as is written, to everything there is a season. To everything there is a season. Now, turn with me really quick to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Now, if you've ever been in a situation where you ask, Why, Lord? Why, Lord? Why, Lord? At various intervals of life that understand that to everything there is a season. Every purpose under heaven, there is a time. In verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. 
A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill. Now, you know, as New Covenant believers, we read that and like, what, what the time to kill? Now, remember rules of engagement. Remember the covenants within the rules of engagement. The, the rules of engagement within the covenants. I mean, you look at Paul like straight up demon slayer. But to mankind, did he do that? No. You see? You look at, you know, casting out demons. Straight up demon slayers. But slayers of men? No. You do not see that in accordance to the new covenant. You see? You see that historically? You see that in Geneva? You see that in Salem? But the formula is wrong in Geneva. The formula is wrong in Salem. If you're Calvinist, if you're Presbyterian, if you're Reformed theology, which is all derivatives of Calvinism, I love you. But I say unto you, just like I say to the Catholics, come out of her, my people. The formula is wrong in those doctrines. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. I love this so much because a lot of times as believers... We figure, wow, you know, exhortation, we're supposed to build up one another and build up one another. It's all about building up one another. And yes, we are to build up one another. But don't forget that included with renovation, there is a period of demolition. You see, people think, okay, let's build up, let's build up, let's build up, but... What's in there? I mean, it, you take a shack. You take a shack. It's just, you know, just uh, an old raggedy shack. And it's, you know, there's, you, you open, there's no even, there's no door. You know, there's no door. It's just like, you know, like there, there's like nothing there. And it's like old wood and you open it and it's like, you know, there's trash everywhere and, you know, there, you know, uh, everything's just a mess. There's trash everywhere, old food, and, you know, it stinks, it's rotten, and it's like all kinds of mess, you know, and it's just like, you know, there's no windows, no doors, everything's just a total mess. Well, are you going to build on top of that? So many times people say, oh, let's build up, let's build up. It's all exhortation. It's all about building you up. It's all about building you up. And so I want to make you feel good. I want to make you feel good. But what if the state of a person is just old, rotten, and just straight up funky? Included in construction. Don't forget that demo. The demo part of, you know, renovation. That's what is written here in verse 13. A time to break down. You see? If you and me were to build a home, a place to rest and have sanctuary, We buy a place, an old structure, 
pool our resources, buy an old structure, we go in, we got to tear out the old. Demo before reno. We got to tear out the old. And then we build up and put the new. And so many times, Christians, we focus on building up, building up. Let's build up. Let's build up. Let's build up. Well, what if somebody's like a straight up crackhead? What if somebody's a straight up, like a stripper who comes to Jesus Christ? And praise be to the Lord that the stripper came to Jesus Christ. But there has to be renovation in that mind, in that heart, because she needs to learn what righteousness is because the old that's not good. The crackhead. Praise the Lord that the crackhead came to Christ. But that crackhead needs to learn the ways of righteousness and understand that the crack isn't good. You see? It's the demo. Yes, it's beautiful to build up. But the old, it has to be taken out. And that's what the Spirit of the Lord does. That's what the Lord does in hearts and minds. And when people do it, saints do it. That formula of the saint, it must be right. You see? Because when the formula is right inside of a saint, when the recipe is right inside of a saint, you know what you also have? The power of the Holy Spirit. You see, where it's not just you, you know, a lot of times Christians, you know, there's no power of the Spirit. People who believe in Jesus Christ and profess to be Christians, there's no power of the Spirit. And sometimes it's, you know, because they teach that, you know, that the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Sometimes they teach that. And so you have a people who believe in Jesus Christ. They claim to be Christians, but there's no power. And when they speak to the prostitute, when they speak to the crackhead, absent power, they use carnal means to address the spiritual problem. There is no power. You see, there is an element of persuasion, but it's more of a sales pitch. More of a sales pitch. Remember, it is the power of God unto salvation. And when the formula is right inside of a vessel, male, female, I don't care. When the formula is right inside of a vessel, it's the power of God. That's wielding the sword. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And when I say male, female, I'm not speaking about pastor capacity. I'm speaking as a Christian unto Christians. When you share the good news, when you share the gospel, which is very difficult in these last days. Very, very difficult in these last days. Why? Because the fish, they're not little minnows. Those fish are like tuna. Those fish are like great white sharks and they have teeth. You see? Very dangerous. I mean, sharing the good news today is not like it was in 1980. Not like it was in 1950. 
It's a different ball game today. You see? And saints shared the good news and without the power of the Lord, that's very dangerous. Without, when the recipe is wrong, when the formula is wrong inside the vessel, male, female, I don't care. And I'm not speaking in pastor capacity where, you know, a pastor does it. I'm speaking as Christian unto Christian where Christians do this and sharing the good news. That's when you see, you know, understanding that Satan is a fisherman too. A person shares the good news with the prostitute and in the course of time becomes a customer. Instead of bringing the prostitute to Christ, the prostitute brings the person into themselves. Satan's a fisherman too. You see? But when a prostitute comes to the Lord, it's not, you know, there's there's red, there's demolition that has to happen. In, in gentle, I'm not saying you know, a prostitute comes to the Lord and you know, it's like a painful thing. No, the prostitute comes to the Lord. And it's so glorious, it's so beautiful because you have this soul, soul, who Jesus died for, whom God loves. Yes, she had her lifestyle before she knew Christ, but she responded to the Lord and repented to the Lord. Now you have this former prostitute who believes in Jesus Christ. Picture what her wardrobe would look like. You see, picture what her frame of mind would be, her frame of thought, her heart. And when I say demolition, it's very gentle. You know, we got to take out these cabinets. We got to take out this sink. We got to take out this, you know, we got to go to the frames. We got to go to the studs and we're going to build again. We're going to build and do this and we're going to add this. And the prostitute all of a sudden has a new mind, a new heart and a new spirit. You see? But the vessels of the Lord... Number one, the one who told her about the Lord. In him, in her, that formula, it has to be right. Because when the formula is right, you have the power. And that person who went to the prostitute, now the prostitute came comes to Christ, and that person says, hey, prostitute, you know, whatever her name will say, Rahab is her name. Rahab, come with me to church. And when the formula is right in the sanctuary, that prostitute has a renewing of the mind in the power of the spirit. Because the whole time, the the fisherman or the fisherwoman formula was right. In the shepherd, formula is right. You see how safe it is, how beautiful it is for that prostitute? How beautiful is it for that prostitute? To renounce her wicked ways, believe in Jesus, come to Christ, repent and come to Christ, and then enter that sanctuary where, you know, she she learns the ways of righteousness and the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. You see? That's formula. That's holy formula. See, that prostitute, she's being built, built up. But there is that period of demolition where it's like, okay, you know, think of her mindset of what love is. I mean, like 
people who've been molested as kids. And they grow up in molestation. Their idea of love is way out of whack. And it's not their fault. That's, that's what they grew up in. That's what they've known. So they get into relationships, you know, they become adults, they get into relationships and they figure, well, you know, if I want to please this person, it has to be sexually. If I want to make this person happen, it has to be sexually. If I got it, it's always sex, you know, it's always sex because that's what they've known. And I don't want to gloss over that, you know, whoever the parents were, that's like, you know, we're talking lake of fire. We're talking millstone. We're talking millstone. I don't want to gloss over it like, okay, you know, that's how it is. And that's, you know, you know, and be fine and dandy with it. No, I am not fine and dandy with it. For the parents, hello, millstone. Hello, lake of fire. But that's what happens when people are raised and they grow up in these environments. What do they know? They don't know the ways of righteousness. You see, they just don't know. How will they know? Blessed is he who calls on the name of the Lord, but how are they going to call on the name of the Lord? Just like we read in Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings and sharing the good news. And just like that prostitute example, her frame of reference about love. Her frame of reference about relationship. Her frame of reference about clothing and attire. Her frame of reference about, you know, all kinds of different things of life. There has to be a demolition, a state of, of a period of demolition. Take out the old. A renewing of the mind. So that she can learn what is righteousness. You see? And that's the power of the Lord. Koinonia, Ecclesia. The Spirit of the Lord. The power of His Spirit, the dunamis power. The gifts of the Spirit in accordance to this power of the Lord is the gifting of the Lord. That's how He moves. And you have a powerless people today who teach that that was for 2,000 years ago. Which is rubbish. Rubbish. It is not in the Bible. You will not find an expiration date on the power of the Holy Spirit. But you will see an expiration on the Holy Spirit in the lives of individual. Why? Well, the Lord is a gentleman. They've quenched the Spirit. They've extinguished the Spirit. Something the Bible says, don't do. Do not quench the spirit. Or in the Greek, do not extinguish the spirit. You see? That's why Jesus says, look at the fruit. Oh, but look, this guy's a Christian. This lady's a Christian. They got their study Bible. They got all these, you know, New York Times bestseller. Everything's Christian, Christian, Christian. They speak Christianese. That's nice. Where's the fruit? That's what the Bible says. Look at the fruit. You will know by the fruit. Look at the fruit. Formula. Understand formula. Look at the recipe. 
And so, yes, here in verse 3, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. Remember our Lord himself when he was silent before his accusers? A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. I used to have problems with this, you know, a time to love and a time to hate. Because sometimes in Greek and Hebrew, when you see hate, sometimes it's not hate, it's more love-less. But this word is straight up hate. Hate. It's like, well, wait a second. I thought we're not supposed to hate. You know, there's the saying, love the sinner but hate the sin. And I don't want to say that as cliche, you know, because people say, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. But it is very apropos. Understand that in the last days, when when Paul says in Philippians that they are enemies of the cross. In these last days, enemies of the cross will increase in population. They're going to be more and more and more. And not because they're like, you know, having babies and procreating and producing these enemies of the cross. Don't forget, you know, there's that aspect too. But don't forget, in the apostasy, as people are falling away from the faith, they are becoming enemies of the cross. You see? And when you understand rules of engagement within the confines of covenants... What do we see? Is it that they're enemies of the cross, so let's kill them? No. It's they're enemies of the cross. And to go to them and say, repent, 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 repent. To defect away from that wickedness. But if you do that in these last days, you will suffer persecution. You will suffer persecution. We must, through much persecution, enter the kingdom of God. Sometimes it could cost you your life. In some parts of the world, it does. You share the good news, you're dead. In some parts of the world, that's what happens. You're a Christian, you're dead. You attempt to share Jesus Christ with another person, it's not like, you know, you're going to be in prison. No, that's that, that's like beheading. That's happening in certain parts of the world. You see? We must understand covenants and rules of engagement. Understand, just like we, let's look at verse 1 all over again. Just verse 1. 
In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. We know that every jot, every tittle will be fulfilled. All of scripture will be fulfilled. And within, within that construct of all of scripture moving forward to fulfillment, we have a choice to make. You and me, we have a choice to make. Do I want to be obedient or do I want to be disobedient? Balls in our court. Balls in your court, balls in my court. And there are a great cloud of witnesses in the full counsel of the word of God who chose wisely and who chose rightly. Let's go back to Joshua 13 in closing. Joshua 13, in verse 14. Only to the tribe of Levi he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance as he said to them. Remember, in the law as given to Moses, there was no inheritance to the priesthood. Because provisions in the law were, were for uh, a portion of t- of offerings unto the Lord to be for the priests, to be for the priesthood. Now, remember, there's two transactions with offerings. A person making saf- sacrifice and offering unto the Lord. Now, of that offering and sacrifice, it's the other transaction is God to the priests. You see? The person unto the Lord, the Lord unto the priests. Two transactions. You see? Two transactions. It's the same today. Two transactions. When you make your tithes and offerings uh, unto the Lord, two transactions. Transaction one is you unto the ministry. Transaction number two is the Lord unto the ministry, the Lord unto those workers in that ministry. You see, two transactions. And just as in the Old Testament we see today, there's plenty of room for abuse, corruption, and wickedness. And it breaks my heart. Because in transaction number one, people give unto the Lord, making their offerings unto the Lord. That's transaction number one. But then transaction number two, the Lord gives to those workers and those workers, now they have a choice to make. They can choose obedience or they can choose disobedience. Now, sometimes the Lord doesn't give to those workers. Those workers take and steal. And what do they do? They buy their mansions. They buy their jets. They buy their parsonages just so happens that those parsonages are in tropical locations nice tax advantages you know uh, 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 using the tax code to their advantage wicked wicked people they amass for themselves all kinds of wealth the money preachers the bible calls them hirelings Wolves. And when you understand formula, 
you know you cannot submit to these people. It is wrong for you to submit yourself to these people because they do not watch out for your soul. They watch out for their wallet. They watch out for their belly. But they don't watch out for your soul. Remember, it's the Lord who leaked the pastoral epistles because he wants you and me to know who is it that is biblically qualified that we can submit ourselves to. To teach us, to train us, to equip us so that we can roll around on the mat and learn how to fight. You see? Spiritually. Because when the formula is right, remember the two transactions. Your offering unto the Lord. And then to the Lord, to the workers. From the Lord to the workers. You see? And when you find fidelity unto the Lord, you're not seeing mansions and private jets. You know what you're seeing? A caring for the saints. Times of famine. There are ministries that, you know, they I, smuggle sounds like such a bad word, but that's what they're doing. They, 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 they go into certain areas in Asia. They buy a whole lot of rice, a whole lot of rice. And there's, you know, in certain areas of, you know, Asian countries, you know, where like the city centers, they have like, you know, there's poverty stricken, but in the deep villages, in the forest and where there's churches, they're really like, they have nothing. And so they smuggle rice and they take rice and they, they put it in like the, in the, in the, like the, like the little carriage and they load it up, but then, you know, they cover it and everything. And then they go to these villages. Deep down, sometimes they put on their back because, you know, the vehicle can't get there. Sometimes the carriage can't get there because it's deep in the villages. There's no roads. It's just a little pathway. And so you have these guys, they put these big bags of rice on their shoulders and they go to the saints, these Christians, a church of like eight people, a church of like three people, a church of maybe 12 people. And they go and give rice, some beans, provision for the saints. Provision for the saints. Provision for the remnant. You see? See, when you understand formula, you can give with a cheerful heart. Remember the two transactions. You can give with a cheerful heart. Because you understand formula. It's not like you're giving to the Lord. It's like, oh, I don't want to tithe. I don't want to do this. Because he's just going to go get a private jet. He's just going to pay for his jet fuel for his private jet. And, you know, I never fly. And if I fly, it's just a terrible experience at the airport and this. And, you know, he flies his private jet and all this and, you know, has his parsonage over here. So I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to give. Oh, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. You see, we're talking about, you know, formula in sanctuary, how it's very important to bear one another's burdens within a remnant. And it is very beautiful, very holy. But not with the leaven. Within the remnant. But then in bearing one another's burdens, yes, that's beautiful. But then what about being a cheerful giver unto the Lord? You can give cheerfully unto the Lord because you know, wow, this ministry, they're sending rice to the, to the like villages. Christian, like churches, saints that are remnant, saints that are in, like in the mountains of Vietnam, saints that are in, you know, areas of Russia where things got to get smuggled in. 
Supply, provision has to get smuggled in. And when you understand formula and where you see, wow, the formula is right, it is not just safe for us to submit to this guy. Say there's a guy and he's a a full package pastor. It's not just safe for us to submit to this guy because he watches out for our souls. We can be cheerful givers unto the Lord because the Lord loves a cheerful giver, but we also know, wow, you know, this guy's not going to buy his private jets. You see? But saints are being cared for. Being a cheerful giver unto the Lord. This holy recipe, it's so simple, but it's very specific. You see? And so we continue in this in our study here in in verse fourteen. You know, just like the the in, in, only to the tribe of Levi he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. You see, and don't forget that yes, there is plenty of room for corruption, but there's something else. There's also room for obedience and adherence to the holy formula. You see, don't forget that the priesthood, they can forget the Lord. Eli, who the Lord wasn't speaking to, he forgot the Lord. And yet he was the priesthood. You see, what about pastors today? They can forget the Lord. It's not, it's not like, you know, a title, like, you know, got the parking spot, got the name tag that says this guy's a pastor. No, there's a very specific formula. The pastoral epistles, it's the Lord who leaked them so that we can know. The Lord wants us to know. He wants you to know. You see? So we continue in verse 15. And Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance according to their families. Their territory was from Aroer, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain by Medeba, Heshbon, and all and, and all its cities that are in the plain, Dibon, Bamoth, Be'el, Beth, Be'el, Me'on, Jahasa, Kedemoth, Mephath, Kirjathaim, Sibma, Zereth, Zereth, Shahar, on the mountain of the valley, Beth Peor, the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Jeshimoth. In verse 22, all the cities of the plain and all the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses had struck with the princes of Midian, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Rabbi, who were princes of Sihon dwelling in the country. The children of Israel also killed with the sword, with the sword, Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer. Very interesting what we see here. Remember our study about Balaam? Balaam and Balak? Look at the fall of Balaam. Because you see in Numbers 22, you see the intimacy of the Lord with Balaam. And this intimacy with the Lord has varying levels, just like like an ocean. You walk into the ocean and you're like, you know, toe deep into the ocean. 
little toe deep, pinky toe deep in the ocean. And then you're like big toe deep, thumb toe deep in the ocean. And then you're ankle deep. You could stop right there and you're done. You see? But you can go deeper too. And be knee deep, waist deep, neck deep. Or finally so deep that you can't touch the bottom and you're just like swimming in the depths of the ocean. And that's what intimacy with the Lord is like. You could be ankle deep. You could be knee deep. And when you're knee deep, I say go deeper. When you're knee deep, don't turn around and go toe deep and then get out of the water. Don't do that. Stay in the depths of the Lord in your own intimacy with him. Balaam, he didn't do that. He had his intimacy with the Lord. Yes, maybe knee deep, we'll say. He had intimacy with the Lord. I mean, when you read Numbers 22, you see him and the Lord and you see that level of intimacy. But then you see his decay and his deterioration. In Numbers 22, verse 32, the Lord says to him, your way is perverse before me. That's what the Lord says to him in his intimacy. Your way is perverse before me. Now, what would have been good if he, you know, repented and got right with the Lord and aligned himself to the God of Israel. But no, he aligned himself to Balak. Remember in our study where we made mention quite a bit to see Balak as a type of Satan? And what does Satan do? You know, the seduction of the flesh of the world, the bright lights and big city of the world, the seduction of the flesh, the seduction of wickedness. What about the perversity of men today? What about the perversity of women today? Young, old, middle-aged, I don't care. What about the perversity of people today? You see, just like Balak as a type of Satan, the seduction of Balaam. For Balaam had his intimacy with the Lord, was knee deep. And instead of becoming waist deep and neck deep and so deep that he has to swim in the depths of the Lord, that didn't happen. He was knee deep, turned around, was ankle deep and kept going in the wrong direction. Then he was big toe deep, pinky toe deep. And finally he was out of the water. No intimacy with the Lord. Balaam, this son of Beor, the soothsayer, in verse 22, among those who were killed by them. You see, the seduction of Balak. Balaam made his choice. He could have gone deeper in his intimacy with the Lord, but he didn't. Through the seduction of Balak, a type of Satan. And, you know, a soothsayer. Now look, now he's dead. You see? Remember how Balak was persistent? It wasn't just like a a one-time deal with Balak. Balak was persistent. Satan is persistent. Satan will attempt to seduce you at various intervals, intervals of a single day. 
at various intervals intervals of a week, a month, a year. You see? You become a Christian, praise be to the Lord, but it's dangerous to stay a baby. It's beautiful to be a baby in Christ, but to stay a baby, that's not good. You know why? Because babies can't fight. Babies can't fight. I mean, I don't want to advocate violence or anything, but you take a freshly born baby and you put a sword next to that baby. That baby cannot wield that sword. It's too heavy. That baby cannot wield that sword. You see? But then I'll say, yet. Because that baby grows, that baby, you know, the arms get stronger, the back gets stronger, all the support necessary for the legs, for the back, for the arms to, to wield that sword and not just wield that sword, but to wield it skillfully, to be trained to wield that sword skillfully. That takes time. Now, if the baby stayed a baby, that would never happen. But if the baby grows and matures, the various intervals where Satan will return and, you know, using his vessels, his uh, ministers of, he pre they present themselves as ministers of righteousness or, you know, spiritually speaking, even the demons come back. Remember, a person's freed by the Lord and praise be to the Lord, but the demon comes back, checks on things, goes away, gets, you know, his friends, demon, other demons that are worse than him and comes back. And if that demon comes back with other demons that are worse than him and that baby stays a baby. The Bible says the state of that person is worse than the first state. But what happens when the baby grows up, gets strong, learns how to fight, isn't a baby anymore, but is a straight up warrior. You see, those demons are going to come back and those demons are going to die. You see, baby became dangerous. You see? But that didn't happen with Balaam. Balaam, yes, had his intimacy with the Lord. But he chose wrongly. Seduced by Balak. Money. Paid by Balak. The seduction of money. You see? Bright lights, big city. Seduction. He made his choice. Baal was in his court. And Balak, through the counsel of Balaam, learned how to seduce Israel, the camp of Israel. He didn't send the warriors down. He didn't send the fighters down. He sent the women down. You see? They do their sexual stuff with the guys, and then all of a sudden, the ladies say, hey, let's let's worship Baal now. And the guys, hook, line, and sinker. They're caught. Okay, let's worship Baal. Now, you figure the act of worshiping Baal is bad, and yes, that's bad. But look how that seduction started. You could say, okay, it started with the women. Yes. But let's look further back. The Council of Balak. See? 
Balak had intimacy, or Balaam, the, 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 uh, it was Balak who did it, but it was through the counsel of Balaam. Now Balaam had his intimacy, but he chose wrongly and left that intimacy. That's why these blueprints are very important. Formula, recipe, very important. The Lord leaked the pastoral epistles so that you and me can know that guy is the full package. He has intimacy with the Lord, the sound doctrine, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. You see? Look at the process of for Israel to worship Baal. You say, well, it's because of the women. Yeah, yeah. But how, how, how was it learned that instead of sending the warriors to send the women? Well, Balak did it. Yeah. How did Balak know? The council of Balaam. But then you look at the fall of Balaam in his mind. Because he had intimacy with the Lord. And the Lord even told him in Numbers 22, verse 32, Your, perver- your ways are perverse before me. And instead of repenting and going from knee deep to waist deep, from waist deep to neck deep, he did the opposite. He chose wrongly. Ball was in his court and he chose wrongly. And in choosing wrongly, no intimacy. And in no intimacy, look at what it led to for Israel. I mean, ultimately, Judgment. I mean, the, the, those men died. Remember Phineas with the with the with the with the with the spear with the javelin and the spear. Remember Phineas, beautiful, beautiful Phineas, a, a vessel of the Lord. And you you figure, wow, you know, like you know, this 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 plague is coming upon the camp of Israel. And yes, the plague is coming upon the camp of Israel. But look at the inception. Not with the women. Not with Balak. With Balaam and his foregone intimacy with the Lord. When the Lord told him, your ways are perverse before me. You see? And when you understand formula, you look at the fruit and, you know, sound doctrine in your Berean with a noble heart. Not only will you grow and mature, but it presents safeguards in place so that you know, wow, this church... This isn't just a church. This is home. This is sanctuary. This is ecclesia. This is family. Heirs of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. Heirs of Abraham. We're talking Genesis. We're talking promises of the Lord to Abraham in straight up Genesis. And that lineage is continuing even today by faith. You see, it's very easy, very simple, but very, very, very specific. And so we continue. In verse 23, in closing, and the border of the children of Reuben was the bank 
of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben according to their families, the cities, and their villages. Moses also had given the inher- an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad according to their families, their territory. <clears throat> Their territory was Jazer, and all the cities of Gilead, and half the land of the Ammonites, as far as Aroer, which is before Rabbah, and from Heshbon to Ramath Mizpah and Betonim, and from Mahanaim to the border of Debir, and in the valley Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Sukkot, and Zaphon. The rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, with the Jordan as its border, as far as the edge of the Sea of Hineroth, on the other side of the Jordan, eastward. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. Verse 29, Moses also had given inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was for half the tribe of the children of Manasseh, according to their families. Their territory Their territory was from Mahanaim, all Bashan, all the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair, which is in Bashan, 60 cities, half of Gilead, and Ashtaroth, and Edrei, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan, were for the children of Mahir, the son of Manasseh. For half the children of Mahir, according to their families. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. But the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their, in- was their inheritance as he had said to them. Again, Plenty, 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 plenty of room for corruption, but also room for obedience. You see, room for obedience. It's not just obedience to an idea of what righteousness is, because the Bible teaches there there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. It's not just any way that seems right. It's a very specific way. Capital W. Jesus Christ, who says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Above his name is his word. And the word became flesh. Very simple. There is beautiful, beautiful... Simplicity that is that is in Christ. Very beautiful. So simple. But very, very, very specific in accordance to his word. You and me together, we must understand formula, recipe, instructions in righteousness. You see? To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.